today's reading is John 15, 12 to 17, and it says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Welcome once again to Weston Park Baptist Church. We trust that um, last week you had some enjoyment and celebration around Thanksgiving. I know it's, uh, it's difficult right now with the numbers going back up, hard to get together, but uh, we are grateful to God for all of his blessings even in the midst of these challenging days. So hopefully you had some uh, time to reflect and uh, to be encouraged in what God has done for us. Today, we are returning to the series, uh, Who is Jesus? Uh, two weeks ago, we finished, actually, the uh, seventh of the I Am Sayings found in the Gospel of John. But I would like to stay with the Gospel uh, for a few more weeks and talk about some of the implications of what the seven sayings of Christ in the Gospel of John have for us. And so we... Two weeks ago, we looked at Christ saying, I am the vine, uh, John 15, in the middle of the upper room discourse. And so we're going to go back to the piece that follows that in John 15, verse is 12 to 17, and uh, begin this first implication for us as we uh, reflect on what Christ has done. So the immediate verses there for us, the context, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So that's the immediate context of where we're going, and two key words there, obviously the word love, which is agape love, five times in two verses. And then also three times uh, the word abide, or to remain, meno. Um, it's the invitation to remain in God and to know him as our home. Christ finds his home in the Father. The Father is in the Son. And we are invited into that dynamic of the divine family and to rest in the arms of God for us. So that's a beautiful image. To find our home, to find our dwelling place at the deepest level in our relationship with God. So I love the statement from uh, Psalm 131, verse 2, which is a short psalm which speaks to this issue of finding our refuge in God, our home in God. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like the weaned child that is with me. That's a, a beautiful verse, and it's an image of, of relationship with God, my presence to God's presence, indeed in that of a parent to child. And here, uh, the reality of a mom, a mother, with a, uh, a baby. So that kind of intimacy is the 
implication for us and the goal for us and the reality for us as we uh, move into this dynamic with, with God. So that, that's where we find ourselves when we look at these verses of God's love and abiding in him. It's this closed relationship of intimacy. So with that in mind, then we move to our text, verses 12 to 17. First statement, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So we are called to love one another. This takes us back to chapter 13, the first chapter of the Upper Room Discourse where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And after washing the disciples' feet, there is this statement uh, in John 13, 34, which is very close to what we just read. I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. That's very close to what we just read here. And it follows up what Christ has done with his disciples. He has washed all of their feet, including, by the way, the feet of Judas. He, one at a time, washes their feet, looks into their eyes, and it's a relationship of love, even to Judas, who's going to betray him. So this kind of image of service to one another, of intimacy with one another, that's the idea of love one another, because the statement flows out of that action. Washing the disciples' feet, if you like, is a parable, an enacted parable, of, of what our dynamic is to be like with God and with each other. So it's, it's an action where Christ is Lord to the disciples, but it, it blows away any idea of competition, of comparison. It, it's not one of domination by power. It's Christ serving Lord to the disciples. That's the idea. So it's an action of service, humility, kindness, mutuality. And it's done within the community. It's the community of disciples. And so we are called to love, but it's not just a solitary love, it's our love with one another. It's us moving as a community of faith. So we are called to love, we're not called to quarrel. We're called to love and not dispute or argue with one another, that's not the point. But we are invited to actually move together there's the story or, or the piece in Philippians where Paul writes in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, where he signals out two women, Euodia and Syntyche, and who are two leaders in the community, and he, and he reminds them that they are to have the same mind as, as he has, that they are to work together in love. Obviously, there was some sort of falling out, and they were having challenges together, so much so that Paul writes about it in his letter to that community. We are to be directed by love. So that's where Jesus begins in this statement, directed by agape love. So we hold that. We've heard that before. So now what, what does that mean? So hearing that, Jesus introduces a new idea. And here we go as we read verses 13 to 15. No one is greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. So the, the new issue here is that Jesus is calling his disciples no longer simply disciples or servants, you are friends. 
In our unit, three times the word friend is used. It comes from the old English freon, which actually meant love. So you are friends, you are freons, you are loves. The actual Greek word here is philos from phileo, which is one of the Greek words. There are a variety of them for love. Phileo is one, and it's a friendship love. And so here the word is philos three times in our text. I call you friends. This is a new idea, to be friends of Christ. That's where he's going. It's a new level of intimacy. And it's very interesting that in the Gospel of, of John, he does not talk, Jesus does not talk about loving your enemies. That's the language of Matthew, Luke, to love your enemies. John doesn't say that. Instead, John uses the language of laying down your life for your friends. Not enemies, he doesn't go that way, but he speaks about love in this way, to lay down your life for your friends. Verse 13, that's the issue of intimacy, of friendship. And so Jesus is going to do just that. He is going to lay down his life for his friends. These immediate disciples, the disciples that will follow, he lays down his life for us in ways that we don't even understand them all. But he does it. You can imagine the immediate friends, the disciples, the Roman government is coming and they're going to arrest Jesus. They could have arrested them all. They, 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 the Roman government may have martyred them all, killed them all. But Jesus acts and he says, I'm the one you want, take me. And he saves his disciples. He lays down his life for them in a real way. And the implication of friendship here is that he lays down his life for us as well. So it begins with love, agape love. I'll give you a new commandment. And then it's got to do with this issue of friendship and demonstrating friendship through laying down our lives for one another. So having said that, we move on and I want to look at briefly three characteristics then of this friendship with Jesus and with the Father. So what does it mean? Well, in verses 14, 15, we see that it has to do with hearing. It has to do with you do what I command you. It's keeping the commands. Friendship with Christ means that we esteem the values of our master, of Jesus. And then we want to emulate, to imitate those values, to keep. And the word that is used there is obey, which just means to hear. So we are invited, number one, if we are going to follow Jesus, to obey what he is all about and to follow the ways of Christ, which are respect, mutuality, openness, responsibility, generosity, acceptance. These are all the ways of Jesus. We are to value those ways. Paul talks about it in Galatians, that we are to keep in step with the Spirit, Galatians 5.25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit to say yes to Jesus, to say yes to who he is and what he wants for us. That is a sign that we are indeed friends of Christ. I mean, if we can say we're friends, but if we do whatever the heck we want and we just do our own thing, well, then we're not demonstrating that we are friends of Jesus. So one way to ask and test ourselves are, is, do we follow Christ? Do we really value what he has 
and what he values, or do we just do our own thing and value our own thing? So Jesus says, if you follow me, if you're my disciples, then you will keep, you will follow, you will obey, number one. Secondly, he goes on in verse 15 to say that I have made known the ways of the Father to you. Speaks about revelation. So Jesus shares his intimacy with the Father. What he knows as son, as, quote, son of man, in his humanity, what he knows of the Father, he has revealed it all. He's not keeping any secrets. This is what God is like. This is what my Father is like. This is what your home is like in him. And he reveals that. So we are invited to move into this family of God, to, to take in the revelation of Christ. So how do we do that? Well, number one, we, we engage the scriptures. Jesus knew the scriptures. In his day, it was just the Old Testament scriptures. That's what they had. Well, now we have not only the Old Testament. We have Jesus' words in the Gospels. We have the writings of the early church and Paul, Peter, James, others. To be in the word and to understand it, and not as you know, some rule we're keeping, some sort of uh, you know, school exercise. We, we are in the word because these are the words of life that come from God through Christ to us. Really, honestly, the Spirit speaks to us through his word. So we have to be in it. So Dallas Willard writes in The Divine Conspiracy, which is a very fine book, he says, we are invited not to simply become converts, but to become Jesus' disciples. And so as we follow Christ, we are invited to be his disciples, which means his learners, followers of learners, not simply converts. So that when you fill out some sort of form and it talks about religion, you put down Christianity. It's, it's way deeper than that. This is, we are followers of Jesus. We are disciples of Christ to engage his revelation. So to not always be simply reading books about what the Bible says, but to actually be reading the Bible itself. To allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us in a mystical way, a divine way, that God's word speaks to our hearts and our minds. We talked about our minds last week, how important that is, Psalm 16. And then we go on, and thirdly, we see that God chooses us, and he chooses us to bear fruit. So I read verses 16 and 17, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. So the third implication of this friendship love is that God in Christ actually initiates the whole conversation with us. us he chooses us. He initiates. We think we do. But from a spiritual perspective, no. Unless God wakens our hearts, there will be nothing to respond to. He chooses. And then we are then go, to go and bear fruit. It is the Spirit bubbling up within us, the Spirit breathing over our lives, even as the Spirit breathed over creation. Chosen to go and bear fruit. So the question then is how do we bear fruit? This is just imagery we looked at two weeks ago, the image of the vine. Fruit that will last, that we might have a great harvest as we partner with God.
So how do we do that? And here we have a little clue in verse 16. In verse 16 it reads this way in the NRSV. It's interesting. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. I appointed you. That's interesting because if you have the NIV, that, word, that verb is not even there. They understand the Greek word appointed as simply being a repetition of the verb to bear fruit. So they don't even translate it. If you're working with the KJV, they will use appointed as well. But it's an important verb and one that it's not to be skipped over. So I'm not sure why the NIV did it. Why it's important is that it's the very same word, verb, appointed you as the verb to lay down your life. It's tithemi. Tithemi means lay down your life or the verb to appoint, to ordain. It's the same. So when we ask ourselves, then, how do we lay down our lives? How do we love? How do we bear fruit? How do we actually engage that? Then it's actually by laying down our life, metaphorically, laying down our life. We bear fruit as we lay down our lives for others, as we serve others. Very important. Jesus does this. But he invites us to do it because it's I appointed you to lay down your life to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. So it's not a way of domination of power over and, you know, and laying down rules within the community and we're going to beat you down unless you do it. That's, that's not what picture's about. It's about each of us laying down our lives. So Paul understands that. That's why he gets after Euodia and Syntyche, because they're not demonstrating that kind of laying down your life, this love for one another, competing with one another instead. And so that causes a bit of pause, I think. So Jesus is saying, I want you to go and bear fruit, and fruit that will last. And you do it as you emulate me. As I wash my disciples' feet, you are to have that same spirit. We may not physically wash each other's feet, but it's a spirit of littleness. It's a spirit of humility. Jesus says, unless you're like little children, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Enter in, in this humble way of littleness. This is the secret of the kingdom. And we do this in love. Imagine if our world operated more that way. If we all engaged each other in a way where we really are thinking for the best of the other person. What would esteem them? What would lift them up? Thinking of what's good for them. And we sacrifice ourselves in some way so that happens. That's what's going on here in John 15, verses 12 to 15. Will we love one another in this kind of sacrificial way? Lay down our lives for each other. Not simply in isolation as solitaries, but as a community of faith. Beautiful picture of the community of faith, the early church in uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 46, where it talks about the, the community being committed to 
the word of God to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, koinonia, to the breaking of bread. Fellowship, koinonia. And then it goes on to say how they gave up even their own monies for the welfare of the entire community so that nobody would be at a loss. It's an example of what it means to live together, of engaging in practical ways. And when we do that, people take notice. Statement of the early church, see how they loved one another. Well, because how they loved one another, how they operated with one another was quite different than how the general public was operating. So we can ask ourselves that. Is there any difference between Weston Park Baptist Church in terms of how our relationships are than, you know, the business society in Weston? Are we operating in a way that demonstrates love? Or are we always quarreling, arguing, debating, whatever that might be? Some of you might say, well, you know what? You, the business association looks better than you guys. So are we demonstrating love? And I, and I do believe we do. But that's what we are called to do. So to recognize that we are valued and precious in Christ's eyes, the Father's eyes, and then also to know that we are empowered to go out and live for Jesus, to be his friends. And so I close with these words from Leo Rock, who writes, God chose us to show the face of God's love to one another, the face of God's love. We are God's vocabulary, living words, to give voice to God's goodness in and through our goodness, to give voice to God's compassion, tenderness, caring, faithfulness in and through us. We are God's vocabulary. We are God's living words. May we hear those words, may we embrace those words, may we realize what a privilege it is to be a friend of God, a friend of Christ, not simply Abraham in old days, Moses in old days, David in old days. You and I are invited to be friends of God, friends of Christ, sons and daughters of God, brothers of Christ, sisters of Christ. That's the invitation. So may we hear, may we say yes, may we go out this week in whatever challenges we face knowing that we are friends of Christ, that we imitate him, that we are his living vocabulary, living words that speak to who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And I offer these words to you this week in Christ's name, amen.